Money makes you think. Hi, I'm your host Aditi Anand, a teenager who frankly has a lot of questions about how finance works. Today, we're going to be talking about COVID inflation and the Goldilocks economy. Inflation, the rapidly increasing price of goods, the decrease in purchasing power of money, a cool finance word that you hear on the TV. No matter your understanding of inflation, it does affect you in some way, somehow, and today we will be talking about it. As said by the great Milton Friedman, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon in the sense that it is and can be produced only by a more rapid increase in the quantity of money than in output. Turns out Friedman is only like half right? There are many additional factors that economists consider which drive inflation. Supply of money is just one of them. General supply goes hand in hand with demand. This is the classic economic tug of war between finding that sweet spot where demand from customers like you and me is met with supply. This sweet spot is one of the features of a Goldilocks economy, but we'll touch on that later on in the episode. Here's a brain visual. You have a product, let's say strawberry ice cream slime. No idea why that was at the top of my head. Let's say a seller made five batches of this cream of the crop product and they're selling it via e-commerce, because who isn't? And there's a group of slime enthusiasts. There's five people who are ready to buy this. Now, keep in mind that some of these people are greedier than others. There's a Karen who's planning to buy two, not just one like the rest of them. Their individual demands are unpredictable. So one person gets left out, their demand has been unmet. Perhaps the seller has a fixed production capacity, but Since demand's been increasing after their first sale, they would naturally increase their prices. Is this inflation? Not necessarily. Soon, more competitors will enter this slime market, offer perhaps a larger variety of slimes for lower prices, and even win some of the original customers. These are localized changes in prices that we see everywhere. These changes are temporary. When we talk about inflation, we need to consider this increase in prices as a whole, something that affects several different sectors and products. We're talking about macroeconomics, short for macro. We're dealing with whole economies, not just individual behavior, which is something that microeconomics, on the other hand, covers. We'll start with one of the highest inflation rates that we've ever seen. In January 2022, inflation in the U.S. was 7.5%. To give you some context, inflation was an average of 3.8% all the way from 1960 to 2021 per year. And in a healthy economy, it's usually 2%. Before we actually dive into this number, how exactly are we measuring this inflation? How is this single number supposed to represent a change in prices of goods from an entire economy? Well, there are different ways to approach it, but 
all of them involve creating this group or this market basket, as economists call it, of prices of goods and services that are purchased by consumers. They call it an index. And institutions track the change in this index over a period of time, for example, from year to year, like how we usually do with inflation. There are three main indexes, the CPI, PPI, and PCEPI. You've probably at least heard of CPI before. We did talk about it during our gold and paper bills don't mix episode. Go check it out after this. CPI stands for Consumer Price Index, and it considers stuff like housing, transportation, and food in exactly that level of importance. It doesn't include things like income tax, investments for stocks, or even employer-provided insurance. On the other hand, PPI, the next one, stands for Producer Price Index. And this one considers changes in prices that local producers receive for their products when they sell them. This one doesn't include prices from the energy sector because they're usually volatile. The third one is PCEPI. It's a mouthful. Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index. This one tracks the prices that people pay for goods and services, just like CPI. The only major difference is that PCEPI data is considered more reliable because the data that gets submitted here about the prices comes from surveys that are filled by businesses, not individuals like how it is for CPI. In combination, these three give a pretty good idea about what's up with the economy. Now let's look at what happened during COVID because I think it's a scenario that most of us were aware of. Q pandemic, most countries wanted people to remain safe and that meant for them to remain at home. Now, we didn't exactly know how long the scenario was going to last and with a period of time that was marked by staccatos of open economies and then lockdowns, the best way possible that was viewed was by giving individuals lots of financial comfort with relief packages, low to almost zero loan interest rates, and stimulus pay for not being able to work. All of this cash started to accumulate among consumers. Eventually, when economies opened up again, this cash needed to find a way out. A surge in demand from being cooped up in their homes, as well as the fact that now consumers were able to and now willing to pay more for products, made companies start to bump up prices. Oftentimes, even forcibly, because businesses now had to pay their employees higher for them to work with them, because many had been adjusted to getting this quote-unquote passive income from aid. Both types of inflation played a part. The first one was demand pull inflation. Because there was now increased demand for things like food delivery, toilet paper, remember those videos, and social media. This was all stuff that was happening during the pandemic.
The other type of inflation was cost push inflation, with increased labor and raw material cost, like the wages that we talked about, as well as increased costs for things like semiconductor chips and lumber. We started to see that kind of inflation play out as well. Supply shocks like restrictions in factories in Asia, as well as the Suez Canal incident, meant that the supply chain couldn't just return to their pre-pandemic levels of productivity, at least not immediately, and so they didn't get a chance to get up to the speed of producing enough products for this skyrocketing demand. The effect was that we now had to pay more to buy the same products across most industries and sectors. Inflation, our purchasing power reduced, prices rose, and another effect was that unemployment was at a high, given that most people just started to get out of their homes after being laid off. The hypothetical solution. Is just to immediately increase interest rates, right? So that people borrow less money, consume less, demand sort of decreases, and then businesses stop raising prices. After all, interest rates seem to be the root cause of all of this. Actually, doing something like that in a short period of time might slow down the economy, slow growth, and in fact increase unemployment, which is. Definitely not something you want to do when your non-farm payroll unemployment rate is already at 3.4 percent. Businesses expecting demand to die down will actually try to further to reduce their costs by stopping any new hires, stopping expansion plans, and reduce the amount of products they make. So, if too much inflation is causing money to fly out of our hands like crazy. Um, how about we instead try to do things to keep inflation low? After all, that's one of the promises of a Goldilocks economy. Yeah, we finally came to it. It's this perfect state of the economy where the economy is growing at a moderate rate with low inflation and a stable unemployment rate. The thing, though, is that just like the fairy tale that the idea was adopted from. A state like this is only that a fairy tale, only temporary. But we've actually seen market conditions like that before on a couple of occasions, like back in 2018 and another time in 1983, after we experienced a couple of years of recession. It's really difficult to maintain markets in equilibrium, where monetary policies benefit both businesses and consumers and the government, because there are so many global and local factors, some of which we discussed, that affect them. For now, what we can do and have always done as individuals in this economy is to adapt. And come up with creative ways to lessen the negative impact of inflation. For starters, by understanding how it actually works. And that brings us to the end of episode five. Episode five, guys. Hopefully, you enjoyed this episode, and watch out for season two because, yep, 
This is the last episode in this first season of Money Makes You Think. Season 2 is going to be a lot more entertaining, informative, and we'll definitely try to bring over some interesting and creative topics from finance, business, and economics.